Hello and welcome back to the seventh and final episode of this series of the ethics part. We're going to be looking today at weaknesses of virtue ethics. Now, as alluded to throughout a number of the episodes, there are a fair few of these. Now, we've managed to cut them down to five that we think are particularly convincing. I'm joined today again by Chris Cooney, my head of department. Great to be back. It's been, wow, such a long amount of time. Oh, I know. I've missed you. We've recorded these uh, episodes back to back for any listeners, uh, which makes that joke absolutely terrible. So... Today, we're going to be looking at the question of a character-based system of ethical decision-making is unsatisfactory. Evaluate this claim again, which is very, very closely linked to the last episode. So if you are only just subscribing or only just listening to this for your first time, then do go back and listen to that episode as it will make more sense once you've listened to that one. Just to remind you, Always at the start of a 15-mark question, find that nuanced word. Today, it is unsatisfactory. And as mentioned and as described in the last episode, we're making sure that we are defining our own understanding of unsatisfactory. So here, we're talking about whether or not it is practical, usable, ethical system. So whether or not character-based ethics is a practical, usable, ethical system. And we're going to absolutely tear it apart okay so before we jump into weakness number one it's worth noting um, our understanding of the question of this evaluation style question so our point is a character-based system of ethical decision making is unsatisfactory So this means by looking at weaknesses this time, these weaknesses will be agreeing with the point made in the statement. So our weaknesses will show that virtue ethics is unsatisfactory. Unlike in our previous episode, um, our strengths were showing that virtue ethics is satisfactory, thus disagreeing with the statement. Okay, so let's plough on into weakness number one. So we'll start by looking at a logical problem with virtue ethics. So... Virtue ethics looks at maybe how should we act? And then we should behave virtuously. That's the question and that's the response. So what is a virtuous act? Well, it's an act done by someone who is virtuous. In which case, how do you become virtuous? Well, by acting virtuously, of course. And this line of inquiry is extremely (laughs) cyclical and leads to a, a more detrimental weakness. So virtue ethics doesn't address the problem of people who do bad things who think that they are acting virtuously. So that is our first weakness. Virtue ethics doesn't address the problem of people who are wrong-uns that think they're good-uns. To highlight the point further, I always imagine if I was to go up to Aristotle and present him with a dilemma that I'm in, and I would ask him, Aristotle, what should I do? Granted, he's going to reply to me and say, oh, do the right thing. To which I would respond, well, which is the right thing? How would I know what the right thing is? He'd say, well, be a good person. And I would say, well, how would I be a good person? He would say, do the good thing. And I'd say, how will I do the good thing? He'd say, be a good person. And I'd say, how do I be a good person? He would say, do a good thing. Well, after you left, Aristotle thinking, that guy is an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's absolutely true. It's a really valid point. So if we were to draw a conclusion to this, uh, whether or not it's unsatisfactory. Well, that's your first reason it's unsatisfactory. 
the actions that you are to undertake as a virtuous or good person or a flourishing person are never made clear. They're down to your own interpretation. So therefore, virtue ethics is not satisfactory or it is unsatisfactory in agreement with the statement because it's not practical or usable because how do you use it? Well, you do a good thing, but you don't know what a good thing is, so you can't use it. Mm-hmm. Stupid, stupid. So if Aristotle has a kind of a deluded view of people in that he thinks people will be able to work it out, yet we know often people need guidance. To do the right thing, people often need to be told what that is. And Aristotle's virtue ethics just doesn't tell us what the right thing is. And weakness number one leads us quite nicely into weakness number two, which is how do you punish people then? So if people think they're doing the right things and if there are very few absolutes in relation to the wrongs well how do you then give punishments to people who haven't done the right thing or haven't done the moral thing because anything that is seen as wrong is subjective to different individuals so you might have some people who disagree with something that where someone believes that they're being virtuous Mm. Um, it does become problematic because in reality we do need to praise and punish people for their actions just to create an ordered society. So if we want to be able to punish people who've acted immorally or done wrong, um, then we should be able to do that. But if we look at our previous strength of Aristotle's virtue ethics in that it allows people to learn through practice, um, how then would we ever punish people? If I was to perform a really immoral act, no one could tell me that I'd done wrong because I could just respond with just practicing. doesn't allow any kind of punishment. If I'm responsible for my own moral development, then no one should be judging me anyway. Yeah, she could just be saying, I'm just trying to practice being good, but I got it wrong this time. I shouldn't be punished. I've just realized that it's wrong. How many times do you have to get it wrong before you become an immoral person? Or how big a wrong do you need to commit before it becomes intentional? So for that reason, virtue ethics in agreement with the statement, is unsatisfactory. Because at what point do you draw the line with regards to punishing people? So practical, unusable, ethical system. Okay, point number three now. Uh, The third weakness in relation to the question of whether or not it's a satisfactory ethical decision-making process. And uh, this is one that we've already alluded to on another episode. Because virtue ethics requires individuals to assess their own character and decide how they can become virtuous. Now, that is definitely an issue. Because, as we know, we all meet people in the world and everyone must like to think that they're all right. Mm. But... Do you think everyone's all right? Mm. Probably not. So they think they're flourishing. They think they're doing the most virtuous thing within the culture that you both live in. But you've both got very different views on what is virtuous. So this is a problem as we only have access to a complete view of our own character. Whereas we don't have insight to what other people's character is other than what we see of them. Many have argued that the only way of judging character is through the things that we do, not through the kind of person we are. So think about how we judge one another. 
Uh, to unpick this point a little bit further, Aristotle has suggested that if you are unsure of which virtues to follow, then we can learn from virtuous people. Um, the issue with that, though, is that it presupposes that we all possess the virtue of good judgment. For example, if I consider or have judged someone to be virtuous and I then copy them or learn the virtues from them, there's no telling that actually the way that person is behaving is not virtuous at all. Um, to take this even further again, even if I was able to find a virtuous person to learn from, the only way I could judge that person as being virtuous would be externally. I wouldn't have any access to the insight of their cognitive workings. All I would have access to is the person's actions and the consequences of those actions. Therefore, I would be judging someone to be virtuous purely teleologically and deontologically, which are the complete opposite of what virtue ethics aims to do. So again, we can emphasise that virtue ethics is an unsatisfactory theory because repeatedly it is providing us with an unusable and non-practical system of decision-making. On to point number four. So we've given you a couple of scholars here to reference. First one, Hugo Grotius. He rejected Aristotle's virtue ethics and he argued that justice and truthfulness, which are two of Aristotle's virtues, are not a middle way, but are ethical absolutes that we have a duty to follow. And Grotius argued that there are absolute moral laws, so not dissimilar to an old-timey Kant, and that these moral laws that we have a duty to obey can be worked out by anyone of sufficient intelligence. Mm. It's very similar to a point uh, Philip Foote talked about as well. Um, she basically said that sometimes um, the actual truly virtuous thing to do would be to sacrifice your own eudaimonia uh, for a more positive outcome for others. Um, so in a situation, it could be necessary for you to put aside your own flourishing and to perform an action that actually is a detriment to yourself. Um, but by definition for Aristotle, an action that's detrimental to yourself and goes against your own flourishing wouldn't be virtuous. Yet we can all think of times yet where self-sacrifice would be seen to be the right thing to do. So to link back to the question and whether or not it's unsatisfactory, virtue ethics is unsatisfactory because when pushed to it, most people in society would say that there are some moral absolutes that we must live to. However, virtue ethics, being agent-centred, wouldn't agree to that and that they wouldn't agree to that there are duties that we must follow, must face. Instead, we should take them based on the individual. Moving on to point number five then, and our final point for this episode is one of the biggest weaknesses of Aristotle's virtue ethics. Um, we looked at it as a strength in the last episode, I think it was point number five, and although the mean is relative to individuals in any given situation, which can be seen as that strength, it also ignores differing cultural values. This means that different societies value different virtues more than others. Yeah, I think the discussion of relativism um, in general is, is, is massively interesting and one that um, can be discussed um, beyond a 15-mark essay. Um, in terms of this, we've mentioned previously that relativism can be seen as a strength as it does allow flexibility and tends to be inclusive uh, for everyone. But if we allow a little bit of relativism, where do we draw the line? For example, if relativism is applicable across cultures, then why not across the individual? 
But then if morality is relativistic to the individual, we just end up with a moral free-for-all, where what suits everyone is what's morally right. This then takes us away from a normative ethical theory and puts us back into a meta-ethical theory, and we end up with nothing more than emotivism. So what is morally right is what suits me. What is morally right for you is what suits you. Absolutely. So what we're saying here is that it's clearly unsatisfactory Mm. because it provides way too much scope to go into whatever that person as an individual would want to do. Yeah. So it's unsatisfactory because there's way too much scope to do what you want. But in reality, for something to be practical and usable, people actually do crave that objectivity of there are certain things that are right, there are certain things that are wrong. So for it to be culturally relativist, where things can be right or wrong, depending on the interpretation of one particular culture makes this unsatisfactory. And that brings us to the end of our weaknesses that we're focusing on. But that's not the end of a 15-mark essay. Once you've focused on the strengths and or weaknesses, we also need to come to a valid conclusion on what you've been saying. So, Chris, can you do that for us? I'll give it a good shot. Thank you. Um, So with our conclusion, I think it's worth noting that a conclusion is not just a summary of the points you've made throughout the essay. Your conclusion is where you're actually answering the question. If we refer back to the statement in the question, it was a character-based system of ethical decision-making is unsatisfactory. Evaluate this claim. So you're being asked to say how true or to what extent is that claim true or false. So we need to be answering that in our conclusion. We need to be saying that yes, character-based or virtue ethics is unsatisfactory or it's not unsatisfactory and thus satisfactory. Now, throughout the whole essay, we've used our own understanding of unsatisfactory, which we have mentioned at the start in our previous episode. Now, although we've been using that, it's worth putting in your conclusion that there does not exist an objective scale by which we judge the unsatisfactory or satisfactory nature of an ethical system. And it's worth noting that because there is no scale by which we can make that judgment. We've come up with our own scale of it being practical and usable, but that scale isn't universal. So the way we would judge an ethical system, it could be its practical use, its usability, or how effective it is at making moral decisions. For example, if we judge virtue ethics on how successful it is at producing moral outcomes, it could be really successful at that. But that means we're judging virtue ethics in a teleological way, which just seems really counterintuitive and kind of against the core moral of virtue ethics. So definitely put in your conclusion that there does not exist this objective scale by which we judge ethical systems. Now, anyone who puts what Chris just said in an essay, you're looking at the upper band of your evaluation because you're going that bit further than saying whether or not it's satisfactory and unsatisfactory, but then you're delving deeper into what that could possibly mean. Okay, so don't necessarily do that if you're aiming at the C and D because you might confuse yourself instead stick to the points that you've made and your own definition of what we've put as unsatisfactory which in this podcast we've said it's practical and usable okay that brings us to the end of this series of podcasts on virtue ethics thank you to Ian and Chris for joining me and being my guests I suppose Chris can say thanks and you're welcome now but Ian can't because he's not here 
You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thank you very much for listening. And do make sure that you are subscribed because uh, we've got some really good news that we're going to be able to do this again in the summer for the other ethical theories that are appearing on the <laughs> appearing they've appeared on the AQA. Uh, specification which are situation ethics and natural moral law now as again they're not going to be about getting those a and a stars but they are going to be focused at just a core understanding of the ethical theories that you can then study and add to as you wish as always please make sure that you go and give us a five star review if you're feeling generous or if you've benefited from this in any way because otherwise you're definitely not being a virtuous person there are Thank <laughs> you.